Super Talk Mississippi media production. What is Moondog? Moondog Makers and Bakers is not just a catering company. It's blended tradition with innovation and something familiar just done differently. To get a taste of what they're truly all about, you can order some awesome merch, crafted spice blends, or request catering for your very own event. MoondogMakersandBakers.com. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Hey everyone out there sitting on ready for another weekend. I gotta tell you I'm a bit revved up because of all the sports I ever played growing up and still love watching basketball. I would say ranks at the top of the list. And today's guest I watched and admired for many, many years as he became a two-time SEC Player of the Year, a consensus second team, and then first team All-American. And for that, rewarded with his number 14 jersey, retired at the University of Tennessee. A top 10 pick in the NBA draft, he'd go on to become the NBA's most improved player all the way to an NBA All-Star and the three-point shootout champion. I used to watch him rock the threes. And by the time he would retire from the hard court, he would amass nearly 20,000 points over his career. That's crazy. I'm ready to get it on this Mississippi Minute with the legendary Dell Ellis. Hey, Dell. How you doing, Steve? Thanks for having me on. Oh, I, I love it. I'm glad. How's your son doing? I know he's been under the weather. Yeah, he's a little under the weather. He's just took a couple of days off from school, so it's always good. Yeah. You know? Um, he'll be fine. He's, he's just a big growing boy. He's only nine. He'll be nine in September, so okay, is he's he, doing well. Is he your baby? Yeah, he's the youngest. He's a he's a blessing. He came out of nowhere. I thought I was trying to see <laughs> all the kids out of the house, out of school, and he pops up. So wow. it's actually a beautiful thing because, you know, with the other kids that I had, I was always traveling. Half the year I was on the road, but now I'm settled. I'm retired, so I get to spend time with him. And get to understand what it is to be a, a full-time father. Yeah. So I'm in for every minute. <laughs> you know, I was gone, the same thing for me. I mean, I was gone sometimes 300 days a year. And uh, and so, yeah, what a blessing. All right, so how's his uh, game? I mean, you said he's getting tall. He's He's got the jeans. Yeah, he's stretching out a little bit. I have a son that's 6'9". What? Played played basketball, graduated out of Wake Forest University, but he played and countries around the world. He didn't make it to the professional level, but he's played around the world. He's actually still working out, getting in shape, waiting on the opportunity to go back and play again. He's 34 years old. Wow. So he's 6'9", 250 pounds. It makes me look small. <laughs> so <laughs> I believe the little one, Dale Jr., is actually going to be a big kid as well. But he's not engaged in basketball right now. What he's doing is playing soccer. He's played soccer for the last two years. He enjoys that. And uh, he's starting to develop an interest in basketball. It's something that I 
I have not pushed on him at all. Right. So, so tell me that. You think about looking back, and 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 now that you've got a younger son, and you say you're not pushing at all because you 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 know what it takes to the effort it has to be, and it has to come from within, right? Absolutely. I mean, and when you were a kid growing up, you just were you all about hoops? I played every game you can imagine. You know, I played sandlot baseball, football. We played football on the field with no pads. Um, played basketball. I, I fell in love with basketball. I knew what I wanted to do as a young age, play professional basketball. So I dropped the all other sports and stuck with basketball. I love the game. So if you love it, you can be good at it. Yeah, well, you you get you there's a there to get to the level and and the accomplishments that you you did. It, you have to have the gifts, but you got to work really hard. I think some people think that you know just like it's bestowed upon you, and what's bestowed upon you is the is your ability. But then you got to go get ready to take it to that level. I mean, getting to the NBA. We're gonna we're gonna take the journey there, but just getting to the NBA, looking back. Uh, what was the t- the man hours you put in? And especially you were a student, too. So juggling being a student and an athlete and the man hours you had to put in, did it come easy for you? No, it wasn't easy. I was an average student. I regret it. I didn't apply myself the way I should have in school. I'm the first in my family to get a college degree. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I had to go back two summers to finish, but it and I didn't do it for myself. I did it for my mom. My mom wanted me to get yeah. a degree. And I have two kids with college degrees now. I have a daughter in South Africa. I need to get her doctor's degree. Wow. So I'm proud of them. So I try to stress academics over athletics. Right. I was the opposite. You're going to favor one over the other. It should be academics over athletics. But I try to get kids to create a, try to create a balance between the two. But uh, so I have regrets in that area. It's tough, you know. You um, you got to put a lot of time in the basketball and juggling school at the same time. So you're gonna have to make concessions. That was the biggest thing, which I had no problem doing because I love the game so much. Um, you got the kids today. You give up the the iPads and the uh, the games and all that stuff and focus on your crap or focus on schoolwork. You know, right, right. So you got to make concessions to get what you want talking to the great Dell Ellis. I know you gave up sports along the way. You played everything, but then when you went all basketball, were you like a long jumper or a high jumper as well? I did. I was asked to play football in high school. I ran away from that idea. <laughs> I just wasn't put pads on. I love basketball, but I was asked to participate um, in track. So I was I long jumped and triple jumped. Now, I worked before school at, at one point, but I was always working after school on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays cleaning up Marietta Park and Recreation. <laughs> I grew up in Marietta, Georgia. So that was a, a job. I had to work there to get the things that I wanted. At the same time, I had to get to the gym and play basketball until I couldn't play anymore. Right. I played until those guys were exhausted. Nobody <laughs> wanted to play anymore. I'd stay and work on just shooting the basketball. Did, but, did, uh, did the shot always come natural to you? Or was it always sort of you, you could shoot? No, it's something that you just slowly develop. You just keep working on it. It's just repetition. The more you shoot, the better you're going to get. It's like picking up a book. The more you read, the better reader you're going to become. Right. So I I just put in the time. I just loved it so much. I didn't mind. Right. And uh, what I got into the NBA, what I was trying to do was stay on the court like I was when I was a kid, exhaust myself, because I, I got to the understanding that this is no longer about 
the skill of shooting a basketball is about the length approach to it. So fatigue yourself, fatigue yourself, and then try to make shots. Right. So I would work hard and then stay there and, and try to get it in until the point where my body is so fatigued. I got to suck it up and make shots. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I was talking to Coach Scott Nagy. He was our point guard at Delta State when Gerald Glass was there. And uh, mm-hmm. and and, Ger- and Gerald talked about how he wasn't a scorer, really. And all of a sudden, he got to Delta State. He worked hard, played with a chip on his shoulder. All of a sudden, the shot came. And he said it was sort of like he didn't average a ton of points in high school. And I was going, that's just crazy because it looked like it was the most smoothest, natural thing. And he said he had to work at it. But, but Scott said something interesting. He said, you know, he'd shoot in the gym, but nobody was there. He had to go get a, go get the ball, go back, shoot, go get the ball. We, there were no shooting machines. So what, we didn't have shooting machines when we were growing up. Did, did you have any sort of access to anything that, that we didn't know about like Nothing that? Nothing like that. Nothing. I can relate to what you just said. So you're shooting by yourself. What you don't want to do is run and chase the ball. So I developed a rotation. I think the ball spins. So when it gets into the basket, it's actually going to come back into the area where you're standing. Come on. So that's why I was able to get that rotation on the ball because I didn't want to go chase it. I want to get shots up. That's crazy. Yeah, and then, you know, if you're missing shots, you're running to chase that ball. You're really concentrating (laughs) on making the shots every single time. Right, right. Wow, that's okay. So when when you're in, okay, the difference now, obviously, kids are playing all year because they have to make themselves uh, present to coaches, and 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 they're going all year, and they and they're doing that. Sometimes they burn out, sometimes they don't. But how were you seen back then? It was old school, right? Just coaches knowing that you're there, or you're lighting it up, or you were you scoring forty a game. You know, we didn't have three pointers when you're in high school, so they counted as two. Right. You had to be uh, pretty much on a good team, a high school basketball team. You know, there was no AAU or anything like that where you're going to get seen. You had to kind of be on a winning program, you know? Right. Where you have college scouts coming out to take a look at you. Or you had to be a standout on a team that's not really doing well, a real standout. Right. Uh, the press clippings would draw, draw their attention to you if you're playing great basketball, although your team is not being successful. But no, that was the only look we had was high school basketball. And how? So how many? Take me from your uh, say fresh, freshman year to your senior year, averaging points. Oh God, yeah, that's so far ago. I can't, <laughs> I can't even imagine. You know, when I got to the professional level, I started paying attention to the amount scored in a game because you're thinking about dollars now. It's not yeah. just about uh, <laughs> basketball. The love of basketball is a business as well. So you're paying attention to the stats. When I was young playing high school basketball, even college, I didn't pay much attention to it. just wanted to win games. You know, it was always about winning. I took cuts in salary, actually, when I got into the NBA to play for teams that I thought had opportunities to win championships. Oh, man. So I was never, never able to get there. The closest I got was to the Western Conference Finals. And we lost to the Lakers that year, and the Lakers went on to win the NBA championship. Wow. Uh, they defeated the Celtics. Wow, yeah. unbelievable. We're, we're going to dig into that. You're in a Mississippi Minute. I'm in a Mississippi Minute. And I'm talking to former NBA All-Star, two-time All-American at University of Tennessee, Dale Ellis. We're going to be right back. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
I'm in the Mississippi Minute. I'm with incredible old number 14 at University of Tennessee. We're going to talk about his number in the NBA, Dell Ellis. And could he shoot lights out before Steph Curry was Steph Curry? Before, let's think, Bob Marley. Not Bob Marley. What was it? Dan Marley? Dan Marley. I think Dan I'm, I'm going music on us. Before Dan Marley, those guys, uh, it's interesting uh, how you became such a sharpshooter. And and you're and you're long, so you were a you were. Did you play the two or swing two or three sort of alternate, Dale? Uh, well, in in high school and college, there was no three point line. Right. But yeah, we played pickup games at the rec centers. You couldn't catch me posting up. I was always on that perimeter trying to shoot it. You catch me in the post when we were trying to win. I get close to that basket as possible. That's the highest percentage shot. But when I got drafted into the NBA, I was well. I was a, a post-up player in high school and college. I played with my back to the basket, so I was drafted as a small forward, a post-up player. And I got to the NBA. They looked at me like an in-between player, in between a small forward and a two guard. Right. And they asked me to face the basket, so I had to make adjustments. I had to work hard on, on being able to face the basket. I've always did, did try to do exactly what my coaches asked me to do. I wanted to be on the floor at all times. Right. So it didn't matter what position you put me at. I was going to give it 110% at that position. But playing NBA basketball, I had to learn how to face the basket and move out. That in, that three-point line where it just came into play in the NBA when I got drafted. It was only using that line for maybe a couple of years before I entered into the NBA. So I had to make the adjustments to shoot from the distance, and it, it and then just it was just work, right? Hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, like I said earlier, it's just repetition. Yeah, you know, you get there early, get your shots up, and uh, if you have such love and passion for the game, you can stay after practice with guys that that have the same love and continue to continue to work on your game, play one on one, and just taking shots on the perimeter. What made you choose University of Tennessee? Was it the coach? Um, I, I received my first college letter from University of Tennessee. I was impressed with them. They were the most consistent with coming to Marietta to watch me play uh, basketball games. Um, I had my high school coach and the coach of the football team push me in that direction. I mean, it was the toughest decision at my time at that time in my life to, to decide what school to attend. I have a twin brother, Steve, and we had, we'd grown up playing basketball. I spent a lot of time on the on the court, a lot more time than he did. He spent a lot of time chasing the girls. So we were hopping. <laughs> <laughs> brothers, we were baby. That's brothers. <laughs> right, but splitting, splitting up from him was a tough decision to make. Yeah. Um, actually, when I got to the University of Tennessee, I wore his number. Number fourteen. That was his high school number. That's the number that's retired here now. But uh, that was a tough decision, but toughest decision in my life at that time. But I, I couldn't have made that decision. It couldn't have been a it couldn't have made a better decision. But I had my my high school coaches uh, helping me with that with that one. And did you did you make did you make yourself uh, available and ready and uh, and how did you say it uh, player. Uh, what, what's the word? I'm uh, uh, a playing situation. Did you get into a playing situation right off the bat at UT? No, I didn't. My first year, I played, but I didn't play as much as I wanted to. 
I actually sat down with the coach after the season, asked him to meet with me. He said, sure. I met with him and told him I was transferring. Hmm. And I had tears in my eyes. It was the first time ever in my life where I, I'm sitting watching more than I want to sit. Mm-hmm. That was a tough thing for me to swallow. And he assured me if I came back that I was going to be, I was going to get the minutes. But it's a process, you know. You think that you're going into a situation where you're going to make an instant impact because you've been a star right. through middle school and high school. You're going to make an impact. Then. Same thing when you get to the NBA level. You think that you're going to go in there and change that tool around be a, be a star because you've always been a star. But it's a learning curve you have to go through. Well, it's level that you take. Right, right. It's interesting yeah. because you, you see a lot of great athletes coming into the – now basketball is a little different because obviously the one and done and now they're changing things and all this. But in football, like you look at mm-hmm. Alabama or Georgia, some of these teams, Clemson, that that seem to Ohio State that have had a, a serious run the last decade, and you look at them and you go, they're convincing players to come in and sit – who have been all, all everything in high school, it's interesting they're able to do that because they're so deep in talent. And uh, and as a player, that's got to be like, you know, an X to mark off the, I don't want to know if I want to do that. So I don't know what they're telling them or feeding them or, or giving them, but they're they're buying into it. Thus, having they're, they're able to go so deep and continue to win. But in basketball, in basketball, you want to play. So let's talk about, what you think about the rule change and now all this mess with the NCAA and coaches getting in trouble and, and all this. I mean, why would – I never liked the one and done because I felt like, well, you really don't have to go to school. By the time they check your grades the second semester, you're quitting anyway. I mean, what do you feel about the rules and, and where they're heading right now with the game? Well, the one and done, you know, I don't, I don't care much about it either, Steve. You know, I, I, I was the first in my family to get a college degree. And when I walked across that stage and got that diploma, it gave me the understanding that I can accomplish anything I set my mind to. Because it's the last thing I wanted. That's the last thing I was caring about. All I wanted to do was play NBA basketball. Mm -hmm. But I walked away with a college degree out of it. So it gave me that feeling, and I think all those guys should, should have that as well. Or just you gotta goes, have something that you can fall back on. Right. There's right. no guarantees you're gonna be able to play basketball. You're not gonna play all your life, and there's no guarantee you're gonna get special level hype. You have kids coming in from around the world with opportunities to play NBA basketball. Now, it wasn't like that when I was in the league. You just had a handful of guys. Right. But the game has changed. The rules has changed. It's a game of shooters now. Mm-hmm. If you can't shoot it from the perimeter, your chances of making it. It's, it's, it's a little, little bit more difficult. doesn't matter if you're seven foot or not. They, they want guys to be able to shoot it from the outside three-point line. Wow. It's amazing watching the game. It's like watching a pickup game to me at some time because there's, there's no such thing as a bad shot anymore. The post game, you know, I miss watching that like Kevin McHale, those old school cats. Playing down low, James Worthy. They're taking the post play out of the game a lot because guys are pulling up shooting threes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I told you this, but so, uh, and I'm getting to a question. My brother's been the Memphis Grizzlies orthopedic guy ever since they came. Uh, Jerry West brought him on and all that. So he's he's been there, and he talks about – he'll talk about their feet, about an, uh, an, an NBA player's feet, uh, and, and having to keep, you know, keep, keep your feet – 
you know, because uh, everything's standing on top of them and a lot of a lot of foot problems. Did you have any foot problems? No, I was fortunate. I never twisted my ankle. I wore low cut sneakers. Kareem Abdul was my favorite player of all time. I was, as a kid on the playground, I pretend like I was Kareem. I started basketball shooting with one hand throwing one hand hook shots. And I think that's what helped me develop a, a nice touch with the basketball, the rotation on mm-hmm. it. So you're shooting it with one hand. Every shot is with one hand. I had to learn how to put my left hand on the ball to hold it into place before I took a shot. So I developed a nice rotation with the ball. He was my favorite player of all time. I, I lost track of the question that you oh, asked. No, no, no. I, I guess what I'm saying is you just brought something up that has a lot to do with it. You played in these old canvas, whatever whatever the shoes were, yeah. we, you know, right, right, low top, all that. And now they're playing with the, with, you know, the shoe contracts. And you see Zion uh, blow, his, blow his shoe out from under him and somebody else did it. I mean, and now you're, you're talking about just a piece of cloth that held your foot in place, and now they have all this cushion and all this stuff, and now there's all these injuries. It's almost right. like wearing going barefoot would have been better. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think the tape actually weakens your ankles. I didn't. I didn't tape. Hmm. I was forced to wear tape in college. The coach insisted to wear tape. He wanted me to wear high cut, uh, high top sneakers, and I didn't want to wear those. I like the low cut sneakers. Uh, Kareem wore a low cut sneakers and he didn't tape. So I was Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Oh, wow. <laughs> what Kareem was doing throughout my entire career. I was fortunate. I never had any ankle problem. Never twitched my ankle. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah my, my, yeah, my teammates would say it's because you don't play defense, Dale. That's why you never twist your ankle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, somebody's got to score. You know? <laughs> yeah. My comeback was always that. My offense is my defense. So. I love it. I love it. All right, we're talking to Dale Ellis, the great Dale Ellis. Dale, you, Mississippi is the birthplace of American music. So we've had a lot of greats, and I'm going to let you play DJ. Would you like to hear a little Mose Allison or B.B. King into the break? How about some uh, Bose Allison? I love that. I love it. Yeah. Classy. I'm Steve Azar. Yeah. We're Dell Ellis here in Mississippi Minute, and here's some Bose. Well, I'm putting that cotton in the 11-foot sack. Well, I'm putting that cotton in a 11-foot sack. Cotton in a 11-foot sack with a 12-gauge shotgun at my back. Don't have a radio handy? That's okay. Listen to Super Talk online at supertalk.fm or with the Super Talk app. Just download it in your app store. This is where you come to talk. Super Talk Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm back with Dale Ellis, the legendary Dale Ellis. He was a shooter before shooters were cool, just like the song that was country before country was cool. Anyway, hey, uh, Dale, take me to the NBA, your first, your first team, you're drafted in the top ten, and it's sort of not a misfire, but then you get traded, and so... Is it a struggle the first year of getting the green light and being on the right team to be able to show what you're all about? 
It's, it's, that's, that's the most important thing. You have guys that are sitting on the NBA benches right now that you're not familiar with that can actually play the game. It's about being on the right team at the right time with the right chemistry. Mm-hmm. You know, my first three years we played in Dallas, and I was drafted as a small forward. Uh, they took me in the draft because I flipped from three to nine. Mm. And they took me at nine because I was the best player available at that particular time. It's not that they needed me. They had players playing that position, Mark Aguirre and Sam Benson were awesome players. So I, I didn't get the opportunity that I wanted from the beginning. That was hard for me to make that adjustment because when you're sitting there and you know you can play the game, you start to doubt yourself because your coach is not showing any confidence in your ability because he's not putting you on the floor in situations where you want to be on the floor. Mm-hmm. So what I did was use practice time as my play time. If you came to practice and you didn't come to practice hard, you're going to get embarrassed. If you walked into the uh, gym and you didn't know any of the players, you would look at me and say, that's your star player right there. What's yeah. his name? Yeah. <laughs> I came to practice hard every single day because I knew at some point I'm going to get my opportunity. I just got to be patient with it. Right. And I didn't, I didn't get it until I got to Seattle and playing for Bernie Bickerstaff, right chemistry, uh, yeah. the right setting, everything was perfect. And he gave me the green light to shoot the basketball. Wow. I turned it over a couple of times, Steve. <laughs> he said, uh, listen, he called timeout. <laughs> These guys, when they pass you the ball, they expect you to shoot it. If you decide you don't want to shoot it, you can sit down next to me. <laughs> I sat down. <laughs> I just got off the bench in Seattle. I mean, in, in Dallas. <laughs> I refused to go back to that bench situation. So I said, okay. He just gave me the green light to shoot it. So every time I caught it, my first instinct was to find a way to get it off, to shoot it. That's the greatest thing in the world to hear. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, he gave you, that was the, the greatest Christmas gift ever. <laughs> Just like, Absolutely. Oh, man. I love it. Well, so, the, and that's what you needed to hear. Because if you got a coach that's, that's sort of every time you're you're jacking it up and all of a sudden, and you, you get a little cold because you can because you're a shooter, it's what happens. And then all of a sudden, if you know that, that he's watching you, and 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 getting upset at you, you got no shot. I mean, it's impossible. You got to have the total green light. I mean, it's got to be Kelly green or dark, whatever green it is. It's got to be. It can't be even close to yellow. <laughs> you can't get. That's right. The toughest situation is to, to get put into the game, miss a couple of shots, and the coach pull you out. You can't get a rhythm that way. So if you come to the arena and you know that you're going to play 36-plus minutes every single night, right. you have time to get yourself together. You might not play well in the first quarter or first half, but you got time to get it together and uh, have a good bunch of game. As a shooter, were you, uh, did you ever remember the shots you missed, or was it like, I, I don't remember that? Once you once you get it, you get it. I mean, you know, they say shooters don't have – they have a short memory when the, when they don't go in. Absolutely. You know, you look at shots and you take a shot and miss and you wish you had that shot back. But after that, it's over with. You're looking to the next shot. You just can't pass up shots. Um, I can recall going back to Seattle the second time to play with Gary Payton. I was there when he first came in as a rookie and was traded to Milwaukee, and I came back to play after they had gone to the finals and was defeated by the Chicago Bulls. 
I took a cut to go back to Seattle to play with that team because I thought they could get back to the championship. That's right. all I wanted to do, play for a championship one time. Yeah. But uh, I can remember running up and down the court, Gary, and I got wide open three. So Gary pushes the ball. But I missed like six or seven straight. Now, the coach is sticking with me. The game is close. It's towards the end. Majority of games are won and lost in the last two minutes. So I'm on the floor. And the ball comes to me again, and I know I cannot hesitate. It's a wide open shot. I got to shoot it. Boom, it goes in. But that's how that mentality of a shooter. He's got to take the shot. You don't pass up shots. Shooter shoot, passes pass. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had a good one passing to you, didn't you? Wow. Yes, absolutely. Wow, that's just like the guard that he was is amazing. He shared the ball. We're talking to Dell Ellis. I'm getting all excited right now. I can see it. Hey, Dell, so you go, so you think about it. You're, you're drafted because you were one of the best players to be picked. So do you see when you had McGuire and those guys, do you see the team doing a GM doing the thing of going like, I got to get value because in case it's a value thing and that they want to have you because of it, you're worth something later, right? Um, right. And they were able to probably get a lot for you. And then you go to Seattle. Okay, yeah. So, fire away. Okay. I was, I was, my first three years were in Dallas. I didn't get the opportunity. The fourth year was in Seattle where I was just thrown right into the starting lineup. I got, was given the opportunity. Bernie gave me the green light to shoot the basketball. I had the biggest increase in points from one year to the next in NBA history. I had a 17-point increase. So Wow. Uh, critics were, were looking at the Mavericks like, how can you let this guy sit on the bench? He's a star <laughs> player. How, how come he didn't play him? But then they had traded me for Al Woods. Uh, so it, was, it was a straight-up deal. Al Woods for Dale Ellis. And Al played one year and, and went over to Europe and played basketball. I went on to become an all-star. So it was just about the opportunity, right mm-hmm. place at right time. I was able to get that in Seattle. That's so cool. We're talking to Dell Ellis. You're in a Mississippi minute. Dell, tell me from most improved to NBA All Star, uh, what was the time frame like? Um, I was at, well, 86 was most improved. Three years ago, I was an All Star. But you know me, Steve. I was asking him, how come I'm not an All Star in 86? I want to be in, uh, in 87 and 88. I'm <laughs> in the office. I want to be on the All-Star team. I'm an All-Star. Well, Dell, we want you to do the three-point shooting contest. I'll do it. Yeah. But I want to play on the All-Star team. Right. I'm all, you know, I've always had that confidence about myself, and I always wanted to put myself in a situation where I can challenge. Right. Challenge myself. Once you play this game long enough, you get to understand it. It's not Michael Jordan. It's exciting to be on the floor with him. You know, the stands are going to be full. You're talking about Jordan? Yes, all eyes are going to be on you because you're guarding him, he's guarding you. That's what you love. You're getting that attention. People get to see you. Right. So you understand that. It's not Michael Jordan you're competing against. I put in my work. I'm prepared for this game. I'm competing against myself. I want to see if I can bring it. So that was always my attitude. That's so cool. So it's like being paired with Tiger Woods back then, I guess. I mean, you know, just, uh, you, you know, there, were, there are certain players that have stood up to to the test. And right. it's, it's so cool to watch that and and obviously watch him make, you, know, you imagine Jordan coming back at 43 
you know, <laughs> which, he, which he probably could have, you know, <laughs> right. but, but so you become an NBA all-star, you win the three, when you, when you win the three point shooting contest, which is like the coolest thing, who's, who are you up against that pushes you? Who, who finishes second? Do you, do you remember? Yeah. Uh, Craig Hodges was always there in, in the finals for like a three year period. Craig was difficult. I believe Craig went home and practiced every single day for that tournament, <laughs> the three-point shooting contest. <laughs> I think he was one of those type guys. But, uh, you know, Larry was fun to compete against. Yeah. You know, the first year Larry beat me, I was in the finals against Larry. And I won the coin toss, and I elected to shoot first. And that was my biggest mistake because he's a clutch player. I really wanted to embarrass him. Right. So I said, I'm going first. I wanted to make enough shots to put it out of reach and see what he could do. But he, he ended up making the last shot to win it. But I ball. wanted to embarrass him simply because of this reason, Steve. <laughs> All the contestants were there stretching in the locker room. He comes in late. And the first thing out of his mouth is, which one of you guys are playing for second? Wow, that's Larry Bird, right? <laughs> yeah, that's Larry. <laughs> <laughs> so I I don't say a word. No one says anything, but I'm thinking, I hope I get to this final level and put it on his yeah. ass. <laughs> <I> <laughs> but, but, but you don't put him in a situation where he has the last shot. He's clutch. Yeah. He's clutch. He's going to make it. Wow. But, uh, he was so clutch. Yeah, so were you. So so you beat him. You win the next year, the following year? Yeah, I did. I won in 89 in Houston. Wow. I just the coolest – thing and then uh do you keep your the trophies anywhere close or are they like in the attic <laughs> no they're uh they're in the basement yeah <laughs> so funny you guys i love it that's where they end up the garage or the basement or the attic <laughs> yeah i got songwriting friends that have won stacks of grammy one guy dan Tominsky. I, I don't know if you met dan and he's won 14 or 15 grammys and he says he keeps the foam uh, he has the phone because it makes great studio tile. He doesn't know where the – he thinks his ex-wife has all the Grammys. I said, you think? You know? I mean, there's all those Grammy. He goes, well, you know, it's whatever. Talking to former NBA All-Star, two-time All-American at University of Tennessee, Dale Ellis. We're going to be right back. Because I'm the cold. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Talking to Bill Ellis, former NBA All-Star. You're spending your time now. You know, when you retire, probably not easy. So first take me to retirement and how difficult it was. And then tell our listeners what you're doing now because it's an extremely amazing thing. It's a hot topic. It's something I've written a song about. Uh, as well so so take me to retirement making the adjustment becoming being home all the time versus being gone uh was it was it hard for you and then take me to what you're doing now it was it was difficult you know i um I was the last team i was with was, was miami and alonzo morning had the kidney problem and i never played with a team that, that wasn't successful i saw that team not making it to the playoffs 
You didn't have a center, a big guy. You had to have a, a big guy. Mm-hmm. So I I uh, reached out to my agent and asked him to reach out to the Miami Heat and see if I can get a trade or get released. I wanted to play for a team, uh, team that had a chance to win the championship because I knew I didn't have much time left. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being my last year. But they let me go. And I thought that was a beautiful thing. They paid me for the year and said I didn't have to play. Wow. Um, I thought I was going to get a call to come in and play. But at the same time, I was thinking, I'm done. I don't really want to play anymore. My daughter's getting ready to go off to college. She got one year of high school left. I want to be Mr. Mom because I was always gone. Right. Let me run back and forth to school. She's an excellent student. Like I said, she's getting a doctor's degree right now studying and she's teaching school in Cape Town, South Africa. So I was going to help her with the bounce, with the athletics, because she was a tennis player. Wow. So, But after the first six months, I'm thinking, what's this? I must have fell and bumped on my head somewhere. I need to go back and play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough. It was tough, you know, that routine. You wake up every single morning thinking, "Damn, I'm running late. I got to get to the gym. I got to get to the gym." Right. And, you know, right. I was still working out as <laughs> if I was playing NBA basketball. I did that for months and months. So the adjustment is huge. The biggest adjustment was um, dealing with uh, a wife. You coming home to a wife because you to, and you're saying, "No, we're going to do things this way." got to do things that Are way. you kidding me? You don't think I don't know that? I mean, I'd screw everything <laughs> up. Because we'd come in like it was a holiday. <laughs> That's right. You, you don't even live here. This is how we do this. <laughs> it's so funny. Man, I lived that, and I just, boy, I took, I, I took to offense to that. I was like, wait a minute. I, I think I know what I'm doing, but they had a system, and I'd screw it up every time until I realized I better not screw this up anymore. <laughs> Uh, I love it. I love let's, it. Let's see. I, I forgot the second part of your question you wanted to ask. Well, uh, you, you you talked about that. Now let's talk about what you're doing uh, today. Oh. That it, it's amazing, and it's uh, it shows your compassionate side, uh, and your and and your and your love, and it's probably stemmed from growing up from your mom and your dad, and just your love of giving back. And this is an amazing thing: human trafficking. Yeah, I've been retired since two. I retired in two thousand, so it's been well, nineteen years now. But I started playing exhibition games. I got with a group that were traveling around the world. So I was doing that with Gary Payton, uh, Mitch Richmond, uh, Scotty Pippen, and I've actually been on the road with Clyde Drexler, Dennis Rodman, traveled throughout Asia, Middle to Asia, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, mm-hmm. all through China. And that was a nice experience, getting to know some of these guys I've been competing against all these years. Yeah, and getting to see how they are, cause, and uh, getting to understand what they thought about you as a player at the same time. That was fun. I did that for a number of years. I started touring with our military also. I went to Afghanistan, Iraq, and Kuwait, wow. to, to the Middle East on five occasions. To entertain our troops with Daryl Dawkins, Thurl Bailey, a couple girls from WNBA at different oh, occasions. So cool. Um, I'm still doing that with the military. Uh, Wonderful. We were in Spain, Portugal, Greece, and Italy last year. And went up to um, Fairbanks, Alaska. This year we were down in um, Palm, Palm Springs, California. 
our biggest um, military base in the country for Marines. So we fundraise. We fundraise. We have a signature event that we do every year that we took on last year for the first time, which is we're dealing with human trafficking. So we raise money for Wellspring Living, which is a safe house. Once the kids are rescued from human trafficking, they're sent to Wellspring. Wellspring helps the kids get reacclimated. Wow, man. So we, we, we do a tea party this year. We have another tea party. We get the ladies engaged. Uh, we have a, um, a hat walk, which is a hat contest. The girls model the hats. Uh, guys and girls bring your teacups, and we we vote on the best teacups, give them awards for that. Uh, this year, it's going to be a tea party, but it's going to be derby-style dress. So we have the guys engaged a little bit more this year. We have best dress for men, right. as well as the hat contest and the teacup contest. And raising but money for this house, for the, this safe house, right? Yes. Yes, and then during the holidays, we always do the same things. We, we give away turkeys to families in need, family families, and during Christmas, we give away toys to kids. That's a given that we do every single year. Right, well, this is how we met. This is what I really love about you. This is why I felt like besides, you know, you, you, you know somebody from a distance. I knew you from a distance of watching and admiring you and just getting the thrill, uh, and so many of us did, at watch you perform on the court. And then, But, but your afterlife, after basketball life, and what you're doing with it now, man, that really s- defines the man. Well, look, I, I appreciate you spending the time. You go take care of your your uh, very tall nine year old uh, feverish kid right now, and uh, and we'll talk later. But uh, we've been with Dell Ellis. I've been waiting for this interview for a long time, and I am satisfied. You've been in a Mississippi Thank minute. You. Thank you, Dell. Thank you, Steve. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi minute. All 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.